Turn with me to the book of Proverbs, chapter 19, verse number 3. This is our mantra for the series. It says, people ruin their lives by their own foolishness and then are angry at the Lord. You know, I say this all the time. I wish I had a penny for every time I've seen this happen because I'd be a rich man. But it's true. Trust me. I see this happen all the time. People screw their lives up by doing something stupid and they get angry at God like it's his fault. Listen to me. If you've done something stupid and screwed your life up, it's not God's fault. It's your fault. And you need to take responsibility for the stupid thing that you've done. And then, after you've repented from that, you need to study God's word and begin to apply that to your specific situation so that you can get out of the mess that you're in right now. Now, as I've said for the last three weeks, every day, every one of us make mistakes. But thank God most of the mistakes that we make won't ruin our life. And though we might not admit it, they're really insignificant. And that's why two or three days later, we can't even remember the mistakes that we've made. Because they didn't affect us that much. And so that's what I want us to understand and I want us to see. That the majority of the mistakes that we make are very trivial. But on the flip side, there are certain mistakes that can turn your life upside down. That can really screw your life up. Big time. Now, I'm not saying that you can't ever recover from those type of mistakes. You can But it's going to be a long and difficult process. And the effects of that one mistake might stay with you or remain with you for the rest of your life. Those are the type of mistakes that you don't want to make. Now, the good news is there's only a few of those type of mistakes. The bad news is they're easy to make. That's why we named this series Four Easy Ways to Ruin Your Life. And kind of our our symbol here for this series is the easy button. Because it is easy to be able to do that. Now, in the first week of this series, I gave you the number one way to ruin your life. Addiction. In week number two, I gave you the second way that you can ruin your life. Adultery. And last week, I gave you the third way to ruin your life, and that's marrying a jerk. So this morning, I'm going to give you the fourth and final way. And when I say final, I don't mean there's not other ways that can ultimately ruin your life. I'm just saying for this series, it's the final way that I'm going to give you to ruin your life. Are you ready? Survey says, rejecting Jesus Christ. The fourth way to ruin your life is to reject Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. Now, let me tell you right up front. I have saved the worst mistake for last. As bad as the other mistakes are, they're nothing in comparison to this mistake. Because the person who rejects Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior will suffer eternal damnation. It might not be politically correct to say, but it's true. If you reject Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, when you die, you will not go to heaven, which means you will go to hell. Because there's only one of two places that a person can go when they die. They either go to heaven or they go to hell. So let me tell you right up front, if you're a Buddhist, you're not going to go to heaven. If you're a Hindu, you're not going to go to heaven. If you're a Muslim, you're not going to go to heaven. You need to understand there is only one way to get to heaven, and that is through Jesus Christ. The only people who will make it to heaven are those who have received him as their Lord and Savior. Turn with me, if you would, to the book of Acts, chapter 4, verse number 12. I'm going to make this as simple as possible for you. Acts 4.12 says, there is salvation in no 
one else. It can't get any plainer than that. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. And of course the scripture is talking about Jesus Christ. Now I'm going to be honest with you. I did not receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior until I was 20 years old. And you want to know why? It was because I thought I would be missing out on all of the great things that life has to offer if I became a Christian. I had this notion that Christianity would keep me from being successful and keep me from being happy. So even though I did not want to go to hell, because I did believe in the Bible, I believed that there was a God and Jesus Christ was his son. I believed that he had died for my sins and God had raised him from the dead. I believed that he was the only way to go to heaven. But even though I believed all of those things and I didn't want to go to hell, I did not want to accept Jesus until I was on my deathbed. And I believe a lot of people think that way. They think that if they become a Christian, then the party is over. And they're going to have to settle for a boring, mediocre life. But people, that is not true. The truth is, if you reject Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're going to miss out on the best things that this life has to offer. And I'm not talking about heaven. I'm talking about the here and now. I'm talking about life here on earth. Let me show you some very interesting things because we have the wrong perception of the Christian life. I believe the world does not understand that not only did Jesus come to give us eternal life, but Jesus came to give us a more abundant life, a better life, not just in quantity, but also in quality. So let me show you something interesting. Turn with me, if you would, to the book of Matthew, chapter 7. I'm going to read verses 13 through 14. You can follow along with me as you read on the screens. Enter ye in at the straight gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life. And few there be that find it. Now if I were to ask anyone here, or probably every one of you, what is the gist of this passage of Scripture? This is what you would tell me. You would say, if you want to go to heaven... You've got to choose the straight and narrow path. But I'll be honest with you. I think if you said that or you made that comment, you would literally change your countenance and you, could, and you would change your voice. It would probably look and sound something like this. If you want to go to heaven, you've got to choose the straight and narrow path. You see, most of us think... That if it wasn't for eternal life, there would be no reason to choose the straight and narrow path. Whether we want to admit it or not, most of us think that the wide path is the best path if it just didn't lead to hell. Right? That was my mentality. That's what I thought. The reason I didn't accept Jesus Christ is because in my mind, I'm in high school now. There are so many great things to experience. And if I become a Christian, I can't experience those things. And let's be honest. The wide path is the best path if it just didn't lead to hell. But you know what? I was wrong. I had been deceived. It's not what I thought. You see... The straight and narrow is actually the best path to take, even if it didn't lead to heaven. That's right. You see, the straight and narrow is the path to success. It is the path that leads 
to everything that you want in life. And it gets you there in the shortest possible time. Not only that, but it keeps you focused on what's really important in life. So what I want to do this morning is I want to take another look at this straight and narrow path. And I want to show you some things that possibly you've never seen before. Because if you're sitting out there and you're thinking, I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. I believe there's a heaven and there's a hell. But the reason I haven't sold out to Jesus is because there's so much I'd be missing out on. I want to show you that that is false. I want to show you that the straight and narrow is the best path to take, even if there was no such thing as heaven or hell. So let's take another look at it. I want you to underline the word narrow in Matthew chapter 7. It's translated from the Greek word thelebo. And thelebo means to restrict by narrowing the choices. Let me say that again. Thelebo means to restrict by narrowing the choices. And isn't that exactly what God does? When you become a Christian, God begins to place certain restrictions on your life. He has all of these, these commandments that he expects you to keep and to live by. And those commandments, commandments restrict what you can do. So in essence, the Christian life is a narrow path restricted by God's commandments. The Libo. Now, let's use marriage as an example to illustrate how God restricts us in our Christian walk. The first restriction that God places upon us is before we even get married. God restricts us from what is called fornication. No premarital sex. Look with me, if you would, in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse number 18. It says, flee fornication. Every sin that a man does is without the body. But he that commits fornication sins against his own body. Now, why would God want to restrict us from premarital sex? Because, guys, let's be honest. Sex is the greatest thing in the world, right? Yes. You know, I've told my wife this. I, 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 how do I say this in a nice way? That I won't get myself in trouble because I have a tendency to do that. I've told my wife when sex is no longer what it is today, it's time for me to go home. And when I say home, I don't mean here on this earth. I mean it's time to go to be with God. You know, that's the one thing that I'm thinking about when I get to heaven. Now, God, I know it's going to be great there. But there's no sex there. So, you know, Lord, I'm wondering about this. Now, it's kind of interesting. Because here God is. And the first thing that he does is he says, no fornication. No premarital sex. And so we ask the question, why would God say no premarital sex? Well, believe it or not, it's in order to protect us. Look with me, if you would, in the book of Deuteronomy, the 6th chapter, verse number 24. This is what Deuteronomy 6.24 says. And the Lord our God commanded us to obey all of these decrees and to fear him so he can continue to bless us and to preserve our lives as he has done to this day. Now, I want you to underline the word preserve because the majority of us, we just read right over that. We skip over it. We have no idea what it's saying. That word preserve is translated from the Hebrew word kaya, and it means to protect or to save. So what this is actually saying is that God's commandments are for our own good, and they're meant to protect us. That's a verse you ought to teach your children. 
We need to understand that all of the commandments that God has given us is for our own good and their purpose is to protect us. And if we could just get that across. And I shouldn't just say to our young people, really if we could get that across to everyone, the purpose of God's commandments are to protect us. Now, let's apply that to premarital sex. Because we're asking the, the question, why in the world would God forbid us from having premarital sex? Well, did you know that if you have sex before marriage just once, statistics show that you're three times more likely to get a divorce. That's right. Study after study has shown that a person who has premarital sex just once is three times more likely to get a divorce than someone who's never had premarital sex. And God knew that. He knew what the dangers of premarital sex were. Not only does it, not only does it, 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 is it patterned after the covenant between Christ and the church, therefore we're not so, supposed to partake of it, so it's for our good, but it's also meant to protect us, to keep us for, for being susceptible to, to uh, divorce. Now, let's look at the restrictions that God places on us after we get married. First thing that he does is he actually comes in and condemns adultery. Adultery is number seven in the Ten Commandments, but he doesn't stop there. Then he goes further and he restricts us from lusting after others of the opposite sex. He tells us that if we continue to look upon a woman with lust in her heart, fantasizing about her, then we've committed adultery with her in our heart. Jesus taught us that. Look at Matthew chapter 5, verse number 28. Jesus said, but I say unto anyone who even looks at a woman. Now, you can take this out of context. Because the word looks actually is written in the present tense. It means to continually look. I don't know why, but men, God created us in such a way that we are stimulated externally. We are stimulated by what we see. So let's just say a beautiful girl comes by and she doesn't have much clothes on. What's the first natural reaction that's going to take place before your wife elbows you? No, I'm just teasing. But some of you do that. Now, I want you to understand, Jesus wasn't saying that you can't look because then we'd have to come in and just, you know, I can't look at anyone but my wife. No, what he said is you cannot continually look. And there's a purpose for continually looking. He says with lust. Why does he say that? Because the whole purpose of continually looking is to fantasize about that woman. To think about that woman as a sex object. Then he goes further and he says, Anyone who's even looked at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now, you need to understand he wasn't talking about the physical heart. What he means is inside, with your thoughts, with your mind. So Jesus was coming along and he was telling us that we're not supposed to do that. So now we've gone from not committing adultery, or let me go further, from not having premarital sex to not committing adultery to not lusting after women and looking at them as sex objects. And then he goes further. He then tells us how to treat our wife and he commands us to love and to honor her. He even threatens that our prayers will be hindered if we don't honor our wife. Look at 1 Peter chapter 3 verse number 7. In the same way, you husbands must give honor to your wives. Treat your wife with understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you are, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her as you should, so your prayers will not be hindered. Now, I hope that you noticed 
that every time that God gave us a new commandment on the subject of marriage, that it was more specific and it was more restrictive than the previous commandments. In other words, each commandment made the path a little more narrow. Did anyone notice that? Anyone? Well, it's true. God started off with, don't commit adultery. And the reason why I'm saying adultery is because it's given to us in the book of Exodus, the 20th chapter. So the very first commandment he says is, don't commit adultery. Then God goes further and he says, don't commit fornication. No premarital sex. Then he goes even further and says, don't even look at a woman with lust in your heart. And then he goes further and he ends with, treat your wife with love, respect, honor, and understanding. So each time that God gave us a new commandment on marriage, it was a little more, it was a little more specific, a little more restrictive than the previous commandments. But his purpose in doing that is to help us have a better marriage. So the straight and narrow path is meant to help us have a better life. And marriage is a great example of that. You see, the ultimate goal of marriage is for a couple to experience true intimacy and become one. And all of these commandments are aimed at fulfilling that objective. So his commandments keep you on track and it keeps you doing the things that are necessary to have a great marriage. And they keep you focused on what's really important in your marriage. Now, let's contrast God's straight and narrow path to the world's wide path, to the path that leads to destruction. First of all, there are no restrictions before marriage. In fact, premarital sex is seen as the norm in our society today. And we just kind of expect by the time you get to a certain age, you've already had premarital sex. You're only warning us to do what? To practice safe sex. So before you get married, you're having casual sex with multiple partners without even thinking about the spiritual significance of sex and really what does it mean or even the long-term effects. Then once you get married, you have very few restrictions. As an example, men, you can look at the menu, you just can't order. You can flirt with a dessert, you just can't taste. The problem is, this wide path leads to destruction, a destruction of your marriage, something God is trying to protect you from. Now, people, it might not happen immediately. It not, might not happen overnight, but it will happen eventually. So you see, the straight and narrow is the better path. It's the best path for several reasons. First of all, it protects you. It keeps you from doing things that are harmful to you, harmful to you and to others. And it commands you to do the things that are necessary for success in every area of your life. Now, we, we have used marriage as an example, but marriage is just an example. It's the same thing for everything in our life. The reason God has these commands is because he's wanting us to succeed in every aspect of our life. Secondly, the straight and narrow keeps you focused on what's really important in life. I don't know why, but we as humans have the tendency to get off on things that really don't matter. We think that they matter, but truly they are temporal and they don't matter the way that we think they do. For men, it could be money. 
We so desire to have money. And Jesus comes along and he tells us, our life does not consist of material things. In other words, what he's telling us is, material things is not what life is all about. And we don't realize that until a tragedy occurs or until we're about to die. And that's when we realize all of this money we've collected, all of these toys, all of these things that we've gathered, they really don't matter. The thing that was most important in life was relationships. Your relationship with your wife, your relationship with your kids, your relationship with your fellow man. Those are the things that really matter in life. And the straight and narrow keeps us focused on those things that are really important in life. And last but not least... The straight and narrow is the fast track to success. You know, everyone wants to be on the fast track. We don't want to go slow. I don't know what it is about us, but we want to go as fast as we can. You know, if the speed limit says 65, how fast do you want to go? 72. They won't stop you at 72, but you're still over the speed. No, I'm just teasing. That's the theory that I have. But it doesn't matter if it's 70 uh, miles per hour or 75 uh, on the turnpike. What do you want to do? You want to do 82, right? We just always want to go a little bit faster. When we talk about getting our career, we want to get to our career as, as soon as possible so we can start making the big bucks. That's the way we are. But you need to understand something. The straight and narrow is the fast track to success. I want you to think about this. The shortest distance between two points is what? A straight line. The shortest distance between two points is a straight line. You see, God not only wants you to succeed in life, but he also wants you to succeed as quickly as possible. He doesn't want you to have to go through all of these horrible situations and to learn from experience that that's not the way to go. And then you find out by the time you're 45, 50, 55, or 60 that you've been going after things that really don't matter in life. You've not uh, achieved the things that you want to achieve in your life. So what God wants is he wants you to succeed in life, but he also wants you to succeed as quickly as possible. So he commands you to do not only what will bring success in your life, but also what will bring it to you in the quickest time frame. Remember, the shortest distance between two points is a... Straight line. So the straight and narrow is the fast track to success. So don't look at the straight and narrow path as a liability, but as an asset. In fact, let me show you what God told Joshua. And then I'm going to use a person, a real person, a person that I knew uh, growing up. Still know that person. I'm no longer in touch with them. They don't live here in Tahlequah. They don't live any, anywhere close. But I'm going to use his life as an example if you don't mind. So let me show you what God told Joshua because what God told Joshua goes right along with what I'm teaching on this morning. Turn with me to the book of Joshua chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 7 through 8. It says, Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all of the instructions Moses gave you. Do not deviate from them, turning either to the right or to the left. Then you will be successful in everything you do. Did you catch that? Why did God want us to do that? So that we would be successful in everything that we do. Let's keep going. Study this book of instruction 
continually. I'm always amazed at Christians that quit going to church because I've learned everything I need to learn. Boy, are you deceived. I understand that by the time I die, though I study the Bible every day, I will never even gain a glimpse of everything that it contains. But he said, study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night so you will be sure to obey everything that's written in it. Only then, only by doing this, will you prosper and succeed in all that you do. Oh, you might prosper and succeed in certain things. You might prosper and succeed as a businessman, but everyone hates you. Your wife is... uh, Ready to leave you. Your kids don't have a relationship with you. So maybe you prosper in one aspect of your life, but you don't prosper in every aspect. The great thing about the Bible is it teaches that the key to life is balance. And it teaches you how to prosper in everything that you do. Now I want you to notice the Lord's exhortation to Joshua in verse number 7. Do not deviate from them. What's them? God's commandments. Do not deviate from God's commandments. Turning either to the right or to the left. Now, let me tell you a little story that goes along with this. The first person I ever led to the Lord was a personal friend. One night, sitting in my pickup truck, we got to talking about life in general. And the Holy Spirit kind of led the conversation towards Jesus. I'd never led anyone to the Lord before then. But I sat down and talked to him about Jesus and about being saved, and I led him to the Lord. But shortly after that, this person moved to Tulsa. He got married, and I lost touch with him. You know, we we just never were in contact. I probably haven't seen him since that time once, I believe. But that's the only time I've seen him since that time he moved to Tulsa. Now, from that time on... I would have people who would see him and they would kind of keep me in contact or keep me uh, in the loop about what had happened and where his life was going. And, And the sad thing about it, it wasn't good. Because this person had an affair, he left his wife, and he moved in with that woman that he had the affair with. And then he ended up marrying that woman and eventually they got divorced. And so now he was divorced twice. And I can remember thinking, why did he fall away? Why can you have two people, and you need to understand, when I led him to the Lord, I probably hadn't been a Christian maybe two months. And so we were both new Christians. Why did this person, who became a Christian about the same time that I did, he went and he fell away. And I went on and stayed with the Lord. And then I looked at all of the destruction that was in his life. Two divorces. Alienated from children. Now, I think things are in line with him now, and I pray and I hope so. But I also look and see that probably as he looks back, he looks at that time period and says, you know, all that was was heartache and destruction. And I thought, what caused all of this destruction in his life? And why was I able to prosper as I moved on? And then one day as I was reading the first chapter of Joshua, I understood exactly why he fell away. I understood exactly what caused all of this destruction. The person that I'm talking about Turn from the word of God to the left. Look back at Joshua chapter 1 verse number 7. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the instructions Moses gave you. 
Do not deviate from them, turning either to the right or to the left. Then you will be successful in everything you do. Now you need to understand that he uses two figures of speech here. He says turning to the right or turning to the left. Do not deviate from God's commandments turning to the right or turning to the left. Those are figures of speech. Turning to the right symbolizes doing more than what God's word commands. Let me give an example of this. There was a time, a very brief period of time, that I was in a Pentecostal church. And in this Pentecostal church, it was a very interesting experience for me. Now, let me just tell you right up front, I believe that the the, uh, gifts of God are still in operation today, and I actually operate in the spiritual gifts. Tongues, tongues of interpretation, prophecy, word of knowledge, word of wisdom. Those are the most dominant gifts that I operate in. But again, we're more of a seeker-sensitive church, so rarely do you see the gifts operate. The majority of the time when they operate is in small groups or up here in the, in the uh, prayer teams, with the prayer teams. But it's kind of interesting. When I went into this Pentecostal church, it was interesting to see the way these people lived. Many of the women would not cut their hair at all. They had extreme headaches. It didn't matter because the weight of that hair was just pulling all the time, but they couldn't cut their hair. They never wore pants. I can remember taking my wife and, and, uh, and we went to the uh, lake and we were swimming and it came back to the pastor that we were bathing together. Now, I never even heard that term, bathing together. So he calls me in the office and says, you know, I, I heard that uh, you were bathing with women. <laughs> bathing with women? I don't know where you heard that. That was a lie. Well, I heard you were at the lake swimming. Well, yeah, I was swimming. They called that Bathing. Never heard that before. But you couldn't swim males with females. Women couldn't wear makeup. They couldn't wear jewelry. The guys would button their, had long sleeve shirt and button the the, uh, sleeves here because you couldn't roll it up. You button the top button. You could buy a new car at that time, but you couldn't buy a new red car. Red was worldly. Oh, yeah. Now, I want you to understand, that's called legalism. This is exactly what the Word of God is talking about. He said, do not deviate from God's commandments, turning to the right. To the right means that you're actually adding to them. It's legalism. You're doing more than what God's Word commands. And we see that many times, and guess what happens? That keeps you from prospering and enjoying life the way that God wants you to. Let me tell you, we teach a lot of liberty and freedom here. And the reason we do is because God's Word specifically commands us not to turn to the right, not to do more than what God's Word says. I take a lot of flack because I say that drinking is not a sin, but drunkenness is. And so I'll have people coming up and say, I wish wish you wouldn't teach that. You need to teach that drink. It's wrong. People, I can't do that. And the reason I cannot do that is because Jesus turned water into wine. And because Joshua 1.7 tells me not to deviate from God's commandments and not to turn to the right. Not to add more or to do more than what God's word says. Now that's to the right. He also said not to turn to the left. What does turning to the left symbolize? Well, turning to the left symbolizes doing less than what God's word commands. Now let me explain what that is. That is liberalism. 
So you have legalism to the right, you have liberalism to the left. And liberalism is just as dangerous in politics as it is in religion. In religion, liberalism means that you don't stick with what God's Word says, but you say, oh, God didn't really mean that. That's no big deal. I know the Bible says that we're to flee fornication, but hey, everyone does. It's no big deal. People, that is liberalism. We see that creep into politics, and it has the very same destructive uh, power that it does in our spiritual lives. Now, this person that I'm talking about, when I, when I looked at this to find out why in the world did he fall away, and why in the world did he have to suffer all of this destruction? Well, the reason he did is because he left the Word of God. He deviated from it, and he got off the straight and narrow path. And once you get off the straight and narrow path, which path are you on? The wide path. The path that leads to destruction. Remember what the straight and narrow means. Using the word thalibo, it means to narrow or to restrict by narrowing the choices. What God wants to do is he wants me to stay on track to the things that will bring success, to the things that will bring good things into my life, things that will make me prosper, not just in one area of my life, but in every area of my life. And so what he does is he puts these commandments in order to protect me. But you see, we get to thinking we're missing out. We get to thinking there's a quicker way. We get to thinking that there's a better way. And what we do is we get off of the straight and narrow. And as soon as we turn to the left or we turn to the right, we are no longer on the straight and narrow. Now we're on the wide path, and the wide path leads to destruction. Someone says, well, how can the right lead to destruction? Let me tell you what I found in my short time in the Pentecostal church. I found that every one of their kids rebelled. You want to know why every one of their kids rebelled? Because they thought it was stupid not going to a movie. They thought it was stupid when all their friends could go swimming together, but they couldn't. And so what happened is their kids rebelled against the legalism. Now let me tell you, they'd gotten off the straight and narrow, and they thought they were actually narrowing the choices even more. We don't want to do that. Because what takes place is when you get off the straight and narrow, even if it's to the right, you get on the wide path and it leads to destruction. And so what I saw is every one of their kids rebel. Many of the husbands rebelled. The church was made up of 90% of women because even the men would go, man, that can't be right. So I'm here to tell you, whether you go to the left or you go to the right, when you get off of the, of the straight and narrow, you get on the wide path, and that wide path leads to destruction. So if you want to ruin your life, listen to me. You either become a legalist or you become a liberal. But either way, it is an easy way to ruin your life. That was easy. And it's so true.